Morning, church. My name is... I know my name. My name is Chad, and I work with the Next Gen Ministry, and I get to share God's Word this morning, and I am stoked about it. Um, so if you have a Bible, uh, go on and open it up to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you have a notebook or a notes, pen, get it ready. Um, you know, I, I could prove to you that, that taking notes uh, during the sermon will get you a better mansion in heaven one day. I, I don't have a scripture or verse for it, but I think it helps. So um, Genesis 3 is where we're going to land We've uh, been talking about the gospel, and Ernie uh, did an amazing job last week. Uh, of when we talk about the gospel, basically we're saying the gospel means good news. The gospel means good news. So when we say the word gospel, that's what we're talking about. But we can't grasp or truly appreciate the fullness of how good the good news is until we know how badly we need it. We're always looking for, for quick fixes. Uh, to life's problems, we want quick fixes. Um, remember in the late 80s, 90s, uh, this was really popular. It was the, the um, eight-minute ab workout. You know, just eight minutes a day, and you'll have that washboard stomach that you, you dream of, you know? Well, I mean, who's got eight minutes to do ab workout? So then they came out with seven-minute workout, you know, seven-minute abs. You know, that makes a big difference, you know, because we want the quick fix. We, we don't want to really do the work. We want the quick fix. Well, then there was the ab energizer. Do you remember this? I know some of you, you bought one. That's okay. I mean, it, it's great. The ab energizer um, was designed so you could basically um, shock your abs, you know? I mean, forget all the hard work and doing all of the diet and all. You eat potato chips and junk all day and what? Shock your abs and look like a, a model, you know? It's, it's beautiful. We want those quick fixes. When, when addicts talk, uh, you know, they want their fix. However, those fixes don't always work and uh, can get us into trouble. When, when we talk about uh, a fix, this, this blows my mind. I, I learned about... Um, for let's say you have, an addict has a drug test coming up and they're worried about the drug screening. Do you know you can go online? It's called Quick Fix. Uh, you can get a kit to help you uh, pass your drug screening. So if you know you're going to fail the urinalysis, you buy the the Quick Fix uh, synthetic urine and it'll you know get you off the hook. And um, I, I just for the record, I did not buy one. Okay, I I bought ten, but no. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did not buy one, but I, I love what one uh, person's review was. Jackson, who uh, apparently is a senior in Adele, Georgia, uh, he wrote about his experience with Quick Fix, Quick Fix, Quick Fix, where you buy the kit to pass the drug test. He says, I'm a senior in high school. I got called to the office to do a random drug test. No problem, right? I had my Quick Fix in my locker. I smuggled it into the test room and poured it into the cup. I used the heat pack to warm it up as instructed, turn it in, and return to class confident all was well. I returned to school the next day and was called to the principal's office. Worried that something went wrong with my scam, I was relieved to hear her say I had passed my drug test. But then she said, we're concerned though, Jackson, because your test came back positive for being premenopausal. <laughs> Any idea why that might be? And Jackson comments, uh, you might want to take a look at your synthetic formula. 
Thanks, quick fix. We all want the quick fix, but we know, we know a lot of time quick fixes do not work. When we talk about inspiration without transformation is just more information, the transformation is the hard part. The transformation takes, takes time. It takes work, energy, effort. That, 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 that's true whether you're talking about the life of an individual or transformation in the life of a country, of a business, of a system. Transfer, transformation takes time and requires work. And maybe things aren't that different because we're not that different. And as we look around, you know, has, have we changed at the core of our being? That maybe, maybe we're getting the results of our system that, that we don't want, but we don't change the system. For instance, let's say, you know, I, I want to be more effective in my time management. And so I, I decided, I, you know, I've been spending two hours a day on social media. I'm going to quit Facebook altogether. I'm just going to quit. But then I just turn and go and spend two hours a day on Twitter. Did I solve anything? No. It's like, you know, I have a problem with ice cream. So I say, no ice cream. I'm not going to eat any more ice cream. But then I go eat ding-dongs and chocolate bars all day. Same thing. What, that, that void that is created, that empty, you're going to fill it with something. And so what are you going to fill it with? That what type of dirt we are will determine what uh, type of results we see. If we were honest with ourselves, we know that the problem isn't really on the outside. It isn't really the opportunity or, or, or what we're focusing on, the difficulty. And if we were honest, the disorder is in our heart. The good news is the gospel of Jesus. The good news we appreciate when we realize how much we need it. Here in Genesis 3, we're going to pick up in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Okay, I, I just have to pause because I know some of us, if we're not careful, we'll get hung up here. Yes, a talking serpent. We know, we know from Revelation that this is Satan, the devil working. I do not understand how he worked. If, if he, he, he possessed the serpent, I, I do not understand. And why, why is Eve not afraid? Well, God had made everything perfect. There was no danger. There was no scare. There was no reason for Eve to be afraid. Understand? So, all right, let's just, let's just keep going. Don't get hung up on that detail. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, technically what Eve said here is an addition to God's word that she told the serpent that they shouldn't even touch it. Now, I, I don't know if what was going down here, if you know, Adam being a man were typically not the best at communication, if he didn't relay the message to Eve uh, correctly. I don't know if it was a beginning of a resentment towards God. Was Eve saying, God's just being so unreasonable, we, we can't even touch it? Um, or did, did she put safeguards in? Or was it true ignorance of not knowing what God had said? I... I don't know, but I know this. If she was in his kids, she wouldn't have gotten credit for the memory verse that week. That she added the do not touch it 
And, and when, we, when we distort God's word, it's dangerous. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's a bad verse for us guys because, you know, we, we want to blame Eve, but who was right there elbow to elbow? It was Adam, wasn't he? He, he was not doing manly things like, you know, killing and grilling or something like that. He was waiting there for her to drop dead. He was there with her, elbow to elbow. And that's what in the Bible we see, uh, it'll, it'll say Eve was deceived, but Adam knew what he was doing through one man sin entered the world. That Adam knew what he was doing and did it anyway. In verse seven, the result of it is then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, everything changed for them in that moment. Everything for creation changed. Everything was, was affected by their sin. When we look at this world, I think we all would agree, this is a messed up world. This world can be a messed up place. And for some of us, we think the problem's on the other side. You know, if we're on the left, we think the problem's with the right and vice versa. We, we think it might be a edu- uh, lack of education, a breakdown of family structure and family unit, um, generational poverty. We, we look at all of these things and say, this world's a messed up world, and we'll start to blame here and there, looking for the blame. But if we were honest in our more reflective moments, we know that the problem is in us. The problem's in us. Have you ever had one of those days where your filter just doesn't engage and you get upset and you say something that, or say, say something you'd like to see happen or you say something really mean and hurtful to the other person and then, and then what? You're like, oh, I'm sorry. That's, that, that's not me. That's, uh, I'm sorry. That is not me. Really? Where did it come from then? Where did the words come from? It's out of the overflow of our heart that the mouth speaks. And that perhaps it's not the exception what you said, but it's the deception in your own heart. That when we look at it, we know we are a part of the messed up world and we contribute to that. Notice, though, while everything changed and we see it's on us, notice the devil's tactics. He uses the same tactics again and again. If you go back to verse 1, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See, he's wanting to cast doubt on God's word. He wants to, to get Eve to doubt. Did God actually say, did he really say this? Did he mean this? Was that just something you learned in Sunday school that's not really applicable now? He wants to cast doubt on God's word, but then the second area that the devil will go for is the character of God. Can they trust God? He assaults the character of God and say, 
listen, listen, Eve, he doesn't have your best interests at heart. He knows that if you eat the fruit, you would be like him. You will know the difference between good and evil. Your eyes will be opened. But, but yet the devil continues to attack again and again in many fall. What Eve fell for was this desire to be our own boss, this desire to think that, that we know what is best for us. Nobody knows us like us, and, and that certainly, you know, God would want us to be happy. We can hear the enemy say, and so why shouldn't we do this? Why shouldn't we be the one who decides? Up to that point, God was the one who decided what was good. Up to now, Eve and Adam will get to decide what is good for them. The enemy, his tactics do not change, but this is a terrible trade. To be in the driver's seat instead of the Lord is a terrible trade for all of us. That, that, it's a position of the heart, honestly, that is at play. It's a position of the heart that, that leads to all this, these problems. And when we, when we look at the position of our hearts, have you ever tried to diagnose what's really the problem? What's really going on when you look at the tension around you? What's really at the heart of the issue? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, has a chapter called The Great Sin. And in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, in this chapter, um, says, he talks about there's one sin that's greater than all the others, that, that is According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is blank. And he names the sin. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are, are mere flea bites in comparison. That, that when you look at all the sins on, uh, uh, as a gamut, you know, that this sin is worse than all the others, that unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness are just mere flea bites in comparison. It was through blank, the sin that C.S. Lewis is talking about, that the devil became the devil. Blank, what's this sin? Leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is blank, the sin that he's talking about, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation, in every family, since the world began. All right, this is the sin that is greater than all of them, according to C.S. Lewis. And what sin is that? Pride. Pride. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation, in every family, since the world began. When we talk about this, this great sin, a position of our heart, we don't... We don't really think we deal with it. You know, we're not prideful. We just make snap judgments because we're that smart and can judge everybody else, right? That's, that's pride. At the heart of the, the tension can be uh, pride is what drives God out, ego, edging God out of our lives that we take over control and we put ourselves in the driver's seat. But you know, C.S. Lewis wasn't the only one who said this. 
Augustine in the city of God, you remember what he said the great sin was? The chief sin was pride. Do you remember uh, Thomas Aquinas? He, he, he said the same thing, pride. John Calvin, Martin Luther, all of these men said pride was the chief sin. Now, why did they say that? Well, maybe it's even what the word of God teaches in 1 John chapter 2.16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Where do we find these things? These, what John's talking about, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, we see them back in the garden. The devil's tactics and schemes are played over and over and over. That when we, we, we go back, she saw that the tree was good, right? That, that it, it looked appealing and it was good for food and would open eyes, be like God. All of those come back to pride of saying, God, I know what I want. I know what I deserve, and here is what I'm going to do. It's my quick fix. But notice, the Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. The more pride, the haughtier of spirit, the greater the fall. But when we think it's not that big of a deal, I mean, come on. That's what the enemy would say. Verse 4, he says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil will try to convince us that there's no judgment. The devil will try to convince us that it's not that big of a deal. I, I, I mean, what are the consequences? Who am I really hurting? No, no one. It's what we tell ourselves. It's what he told Eve here. That you will not surely die, but instead he, he changes the attacks to, to say, one, you can't, uh, God doesn't love you. He doesn't want what's best for you. He doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat the fruit and your eyes be open. And so the tempter will try to get us to believe God does not love us, or two, he will attack our trust in God. You can't really trust him to have your best interests in heart. And this is where it gets so tough, because I really believe that the enemy fights, fights dirty to where he, he, he pushes the... The, the quick fixes in front of us. He pushes the, the doing things in our own way that we focus on the here and now. But can we trust God with the unseen? Can we trust God with the unseen that when we're trusting him, we know that there's more than just the here and now. We know that there's more than just what we can see. We, we, in fact, we know that the essence of our faith it is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That we walk by faith, not by sight. We have to, to stand strong and realize that we trust God with the unseen, that he who began a good work in each one of us is faithful. He's going to complete it. That there's more than what the enemy will push and that it's not a quick fix that we need, but it's him. 
You know, the devil is not a dumb devil. I don't want to give him too much airtime, but he doesn't say, make this decision, do the quick fix, and guess what? Here's all the consequences from it. No, he, he gives just the appealing side, the pleasure side of it. I mean, it's like fishing. When you go fishing, you, you, you got to, you know, put, the, put a worm. You got to put a worm on the hook. You don't just throw the hook in the water and expect to get fish. What? You hide the hook with the bait. You show the bait, not the hook. The same, same things, the devil's same thing. Of, he, he tells them their eyes will be opened, but he doesn't tell them what they will see. He doesn't tell them where it will lead. It reminds me of the medication commercials you'll see on TV. You know, some pharmaceutical companies developed a new medicine and, and they're wanting to push it. And, and, and so you see the commercial come on with someone who just looks awful. You know, are you struggling with? And then the music changes because the medication comes into the picture and everything, it becomes glorious, you know. All of a the sudden, they're running on the beach, you know, looking all happy, and they've got a dog with them that's just beautiful and well-behaved, and all of their friends and family are gorgeous, and the music's all playing, and it's just so like, wow. You, you know, I don't even have that condition, but I'm ready to talk to my doctor about this. I want that medication. And at the end of the commercial, though, how does it end? Oh, 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 real quick side note, we, we have some side effects here. I, I, I read about one medication for joint pain, and the direction said, you know, take two tablets every four to six hours for joint pain. And then here's the possible side effects. May cause joint pain, <laughs> nausea, headache, or shortness of breath. You may experience muscle aches, rapid heartbeat, impotence, and ringing in the ears. If bowel movements become greater than 12 per hour, consult your doctor. You may find yourself becoming lost or vague. You may feel a powerful sense of impending doom. Do not take this product if you are uneasy with lockjaw. This drug may shorten your small intestines by 21 feet. Women may experience a lowering of the voice and an increase in ankle hair. Sensations of levitation are illusory, as is the sensation of having a phantom third arm. 20 minutes after taking the pills, you will feel an insatiable craving to take another dose. Avoid this with all your power. The, the devil works the same way in that the, the side effects, the results of where the decision, where the quick fix will lead, he tries to hide them. He, he tries to hide them because nobody in their right mind would make this trade. Nobody would, would, would choose this. But notice verse 7 when it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. It doesn't say their, their eyes were opened, and they were just like God. They knew everything. No. That was deception. They knew they were naked. And in their shame, you know, they hide and they, they put together some fig leaves. And that all, all of us, our sin brings shame to where we want to hide. The, 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 the fig leaves were just a quick fix. They were inadequate. They couldn't hide the shame. 
Shame does that to us. Shame makes me take things personally. Shame makes me push others away. Shame makes me a worse version of myself, not the best. In fact, the shame will make me believe that I'm no good, that God couldn't even love me. Shame severs relationships and wreaks all kinds of havoc. When we talk about shame, I I can't help but think of back in elementary school, Mr. Jesse, the sixth grade teacher. Everybody wanted to be in Mr. Jesse's class, and I, I, as soon, I met him the first time in that second grade, and for those four years, three and a half years, I wanted to be in Mr. Jesse's class so bad. And it finally came, sixth grade. Guess what? I'm in Mr. Jesse's class. Life is good. And so I'm going to be Mr. Jesse's favorite student, man. I'm going to be his right-hand man. And so I, I am the model student in front of Mr. Jesse uh, all day long. That's all I'm trying to do is build up my rapport with him, build up my rapport with him. Well, the day came that Mr. Jesse was absent. Now, Mr. Jesse left, of course, a name of a student that the other person could trust, the substitute could trust, me. And so I helped on the computer, but one of the buttons on the computer got stuck. And so I did whatever I think a sixth grader would do, and I used my pencil in the computer, and the pencil broke. Now, the next day, Mr. Jesse comes back. By this time, all the students couldn't wait to tell him what what Chad had done. And so Mr. Jesse asked asked me, Chad, did, did you break a pencil on the computer? I had my reputation at stake. I couldn't own up to it. I, I, no, Mr. Jesse, that wasn't me. They must all be jealous and started crying, which now I know that's not typically what innocent people do. <laughs> but I remember feeling so ashamed that, that the next year in seventh grade, he wasn't my teacher, but, but he was moved up to the junior high, and I'd see him in the hallways, and I would look away. I never said, I never talked to Mr. Jesse again. And so if you're listening, Mr. Jesse, I did break the pencil in your computer. (laughs) Confession's good for the soul. Now that might be a trivial example, but the shame is real. Our sickness is only as bad as our secrets that when we expose it to the, to the light, that the darkness is overcome, that God can work, and that God notice his response in all of this. In verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, I don't know when you read that, how you hear it. That, that when it says he, takes, he would take walks with him, that that was his custom is what you pick up in the original language, that, that God's custom was to, to spend time with them and would go on these beautiful evening walks in paradise. 
And all of a sudden, God shows up and his walking partners aren't there. They're hiding in shame. God's response, I contest, was out of love, not anger. How do you hear the question, where are you? Do you hear a, a coach or, or a, an authority figure, a police officer yelling, where are you? Or do you hear the concern of a loving father? You see, God was very clear that, that the day they would eat of it, what? They would surely die. Sin brings destruction. The wages of sin is death. That's going to be the result all of the time, that sin is destructive. And it doesn't matter what sin we're talking about. For some of us, it's easy to see on the obvious ones, you know, uh, murder, violence, that, that type of stuff. We see it's got, it hurts someone directly. But what about other sins? To say all sins, well, what about gossiping? It's a sin. It would destroy someone else. Uh, lying destroys your character. Lack of self-control destroys yourself. Any sin, no matter what, brings death. That's why God is so opposed to sin and hates sin, is because he wants what's best for us. He knew what he had planned for Adam and Eve, and sin changed it all. You say, but they, but they didn't die. Okay, my dad used to explain it to the, this way to me. That, that dad would say, you know, what, what makes something alive? If we, if we hear something, it makes a noise and has breath and is moving, we assume it's alive, right? Would you agree? If it's making breath and moving, and, uh, or if it has breath, it's moving and uh, making noise. So safe to say it's alive. And dad would say, well, what about this? What about a balloon? I did not plan that. That was really cool. It was moving. It was making noise. It had breath in it. But none of us would say that balloon was alive. So many of us, I believe, are, are forgetting. We were dead in our sins. Ephesians 2 was very clear that, that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, that, that we were dead. Yeah, on the outside, we might look like we have life. And maybe, you know, we're, it looks like someone has everything going for them. And, and yet, on the inside, they're dead inside. You see, death means separation, it's, you know, death, when we think of separation, we think of the body from the spirit, that separation. But no, death means separation in that Adam and Eve were, were separated from God that day in a way they had never experienced or God never wanted them to experience. That wasn't his plan. In creation, we see God created everything good. God wanted to spend time with his creation, wanted to spend time with Adam and Eve. He would go on these walks with them. But yet everything changed when they chose to disobey you see, this is, this is our story, church. Our, our, you know, are we the church? Are we the church that just doesn't just get together on Sunday to meet, but we're, out, we're the church even out on the street? Are we the church? Are we? This is our story of being made alive in Christ. 
You see, when you read about the fall in Genesis 3, we're seeing the fall of humanity and we're seeing sin enter the picture and everything change, but never for a moment believe that God loved us any less. Can, can you see the love in this? In Genesis 3, verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach, reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. That, that when God is banishing them from the garden, that itself was an act of love because he did not want us to live forever like this. He's got something better in plan. He's got something better in store. And so the only way what is to say you can't come to this tree anymore because I, I didn't want it, but, but I'm going to work around another plan. And as God is saying, here's the consequences for, for, for the sin, that the serpent is cursed and, and Eve's pregnancy is cursed and the relationship with her husband would be a challenge. And, and Adam's going to have to work hard by the sweat of his brow and that the ground has been cursed. All has been cursed, but God never cursed the man. And notice what he said in verse 15. He said, I will put enmity between you, that's the serpent, and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first message of the gospel. This is the first message of the good news of Jesus. Did you notice he's, he says, you know, it's between Eve's offspring. He didn't say Adam, Eve's offspring. It's a, a prophecy for the, the virgin birth that one day he was going to send one that, that would give him a crushing blow on the head, but the serpent would strike his heel. That when Jesus took on flesh, when he, he, he came and walked among us, that, that, that he put himself within striking distance of the serpent, that the serpent could strike the heel, but, the, but he would crush his head. And that when Jesus came in, he came close to, to uh, the Satan's dominion, to, to these dark powers, but yet he allowed himself to be used by God. We are talking about the Garden of Eden, but there's another garden, a garden in Gethsemane where he prayed, not my will, Father, but yours be done. He wanted to break the separation all throughout the scripture, we see the separation caused by, caused by, by the sin. We see that with, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sins. That, that, that what does God do out of love? He makes them real clothes, animal skins. We see a sacrifice, but they had real clothes, not those inadequate fig leaves. We, we see in the Old Testament that, that the, the, the temple, inside the temple, there was the, the inner room where there was the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence resided. And that in the Holy of Holies, no one could enter. One person, the high priest, once a year could go in, but it was completely blocked off, completely covered, completely veiled. The curtain would have been 30 by 30 and too big, at least 30 by 30, too big for any one man to tear. But here's what the amazing part is, is when he puts his plan in motion and he sends his son, do you realize after the sacrifice was made, what happened to that veil in the temple? It was torn in two and don't miss from top to bottom that God would do anything and everything to break the separation 
between God and man. You see, you don't need a doctor unless you're sick, right? And we don't see how badly we need him unless we realize how sick we are. That we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. But here's the good news. He made us alive in Christ. Amen. See, until you realize how good, you don't see the good news as good news until you see how badly you need it. We're going to talk about this more next week, but let's pray. Father, we need you. Help us to overcome our, our unbelief. Help us to trust you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen.